Hear now, this is God's word. This is Proverbs 13, verse 20. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Let's pray together. Father, this is your word which you have breathed out and you have given to us for our edification, our building up, our instruction, our training in righteousness. So we do pray that you would help us to grow in wisdom this morning. Would you help us to see Christ even in the book of Proverbs? We pray these things in his name. Amen. You may be seated. The power of personal relationships and associations is unmistakable. From the time we are born, we are constantly yearning to form relationships with the right people, find people with whom we fit. Uh, Parents are always looking to put us into the right groups of people where uh, we will grow in the way that we ought to become the type of people that we should be, that is from an early age, even through the teenage years, and even into college. And when uh, it's time to start searching for a, a school of higher education, that's often one of the uh, many criteria by which we would choose a school is what is the culture of that school, what is the nature of the individuals there, what is the, what is the type of person that comes out of that institution. And even when we get into the business world, or when we're looking for a church, uh, we look at the type of people that we would be with. Recruiters seek to hire the best and the brightest, not merely to bolster their visible product to their customers, but also for the benefit of those people within the organization that they might grow together in skill. And the reality is, if we look at Scripture, even from the very beginning, we know that we were created for relationships. In almost the very first pages of Scripture, God said, it is not good for man to be alone. And he has created us to be in communion and in fellowship with one another. And there's something about those relationships that affects us. It's not just for our companionship, but there's, there's, there's an effect on us and us on then there's a contagious nature of our relationships. And uh, when we come to this passage, we see that very clearly, that there is a, a rubbing off of or an impact that our relationships have on us, uh, spe- specifically when it comes to the aspect of wisdom. We've been talking in the book of Proverbs about how God gives us wisdom, and in some ways this book is a quest for how we obtain wisdom. And here we see that wisdom is acquired in part through our relationships. We desire to be wise. We desire to grow in wisdom. So it's good for us to consider this. But what we need to see is that that wisdom is ultimately found in relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and by the flowing out of our relationship with him. And so that, as we look at this passage, that's what we need to see, simply this, is that when we walk with Christ, we become wise in him. Uh, so one, one verse, very short, and we see a comparison of two separate lines within this verse, uh, two different contagious relationships. 
uh, first he begins, he says, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. Uh, notice there's a universal nature to it. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. And this whole, uh, this language of walk, walking, uh, we've seen in the book of Proverbs, that's not just talking about, you know, going for a walk, but that's talking about living life together. That's our life uh, journey. And when he says, whoever walks with the wise, that walking with uh, is more than just a casual relationship. Uh, we might say that it was something along the lines of good friends that are living life together, that are in fellowship with one another. They have an ongoing relationship. And he says, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. That that wisdom, if you walk with, live life with someone who is wise, then that will translate to rubbing off on you and you becoming wise. Um, wisdom is caught in fellowship with a wise person. But on the flip side, he says, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. And you might remember from earlier in uh, verses, or chapters 1 through 3, we saw that God was very clear that those who are fools who live in their folly will suffer harm. He, says, he said at one point that uh, the fool is destroyed by their folly, that there are natural implications to the folly. And here it doesn't say that a companion of fools will become foolish, but he does say that a companion of fools will suffer harm. So the, the folly itself may not translate, may not be communicated, but at least the implications or the consequences of that folly, we will suffer harm in companion by being companions of fools and so just very plainly our relationships matter who we associate with matters we will be blessed by being in fellowship with the wise we will be harmed by being companions to fools we will not be unscathed if we live lives with the fools so if that's the case, if we are blessed by the wise, then it's important for us to identify who the wise is. And I think it's important for us to start by how we typically evaluate who is wise. Uh, we have a definition of what wisdom is. We need to evaluate that um, and, and, and start with that. So on one, one standpoint, we could say that there is a worldly wisdom that all mankind uh, identifies and experiences and, to a certain extent, we accept. Um, consider it uh, wise or skillful living in, in the context of life. You might speak of a wise doctor or a wise politician, regardless of whether they are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ or not. Someone who is skilled in whatever their particular field of expertise is. And there is true blessing by being around people like that. Every one of us, I think, would want to go to a wise doctor rather than a foolish doctor. I think all of us, regardless of our political affiliation, would want this country to be governed by wise politicians. Uh, but the problem with that is uh, Scripture has a, has a different take on 
wisdom. While there is true blessing, God truly blesses all mankind through the gifts that he gives commonly to all people, regardless of whether they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ or not. Scripture also is very unabashedly, uh, unabashedly declares, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. It says that in Psalm 14. So I don't think that's what Solomon has in mind here in Proverbs when he talks about the wise. There is some sort of blessing, but that's not the, the type of blessing that he's talking about here. So to, uh, we have to narrow the field to those who do not say in their heart there is no God, to those who confess the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. Um, but I, I don't know that we'd be content in from our perspective, in leaving that uh, as our definition of wisdom. Because there are many people who confess the name of Christ who hold two different views that we would consider largely unwise. I'll give you an example. Um, we believe firmly that this is God's breathed out word. It is the only use, uh, only guide for faith and practice. It is infallible and inerrant. And there are many who claim the name of Christ, who profess Christ, but do not hold to the inerrancy of Scripture, who do not believe that it was truly breathed out by God. And that's something that we would say is very unwise. So from our perspective, then maybe we narrow it down a little bit further and we say, well, maybe it's all those people who hold to the same doctrinal beliefs as us, as we do here at Zion Presbyterian Church. But I don't know that we would be comfortable with that definition either because even with an, our own church, we have different ways of working out decisions of wisdom that are, uh, that are important questions. For instance, uh, whether you are a parent or you have been a child at some point in your life, you probably have some opinion about how children should be educated. Now, some of us have very strong views that the right answer is public school, some private school, some homeschool. Some of us believe strongly that that is a decision that could, should be made by each family independently. Some of us feel strongly that is, that's a decision that ought to be made by, for each individual child. And that's a question of wisdom. So this is a very important question, and yet coming to very radically different views of that, and it's hard for us to look at someone who's made a different decision and say, well, they've made a wise decision, even though their decision is different from mine. Or from a church standpoint, uh, take the issue of worship. Even within our own denomination, you could go to three different PCA churches and see three radically different forms of worship and of these significant decisions that require conviction and practice, we can come to different conclusions, and it's very difficult for us to say, well, that was wise, even though we chose this. And so in the end, what we end up coming to, I think, ordinarily, is we, we define wisdom as people who make the same choices with the same priorities in the same manner as me. But if we're honest, if, at least if I'm honest, that's a very short list 
a very short list. Even within my own household, that list is a list of one person, and that's me. And so that's problematic. I think we should, we should admit that that's problematic. And I think there's a number of reasons why we ought to really pick that apart. Uh, the first is from this passage. Notice what he says. He says, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. So if I define wisdom as somebody who's already in agreement with what I already believe, if I walk with them, how will I become wise? I'm already wise. There, 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 it hints at something that the, the person who is wise has something that is different from what I have or beyond what I have, not someone that is already where I am already in agreement. Um, so there's that. Um, another reason is that Scripture rails very clearly against this type of mindset. Proverbs 26, 12 says, Do you see the man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. There's more hope for a fool. And so if I believe that wisdom is those who agree with me, then I am wise in my own eyes. And Scripture says, if I am wise in my own eyes, then I am really a fool. That the, the true wisdom is something that's beyond me that I need to receive. And thirdly, because you know, Scripture is clear that this, fool, this folly, this foolishness, is a universal uh, issue that we have. Uh, Romans chapter 1 says, All mankind created in uh, knowledge, righteousness, and holiness by abandoning the wisdom of God, says, claiming to be wise, they became fools. So there's an aspect that all of us, while we think that we're wise, actually lack that wisdom. And beloved, what the good news of the gospel is that Jesus Christ came to give us that wisdom. He came to be that wisdom for you and for me. So by our own inclinations, we think that wisdom is where we already are. But Christ came to show us wisdom. He came to be wise for us. Colossians chapter, chapter 2 says that in Christ Jesus are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are in Jesus Christ. He came to reveal that. And in 1 Corinthians, Paul says that Christ has become to us wisdom from God. Wisdom from God. We need a, a wisdom that is not only wholly other to us, but wholly other to mankind. And that is the person of Jesus Christ. And so true godly wisdom... True godly wisdom comes as we walk with the wise, capital T, the wise, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we become wise in him. We must walk with him. And that is why he came. He came because he chose to walk with you and with me. And that's where Paul goes with in Colossians chapter 2 after he says that in Christ Jesus are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He says, therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. So walk in him. We have received him. 
because of God's great gift. And he says, so walk in him so that we might grow wise. And so, beloved, if you know this, that if you claim the name of Christ and you are not walking in Christ, then you are suffering harm. Jesus Christ came to give you, to make you wise unto salvation. He came to make you wise in him and to give you God's blessings. And so we must walk in him. So if we walk in him, we, we must walk in him. What does, that, what does that really mean? Well, uh, if you think about Jesus' earthly ministry, it's remarkable how much of his ministry was done actually literally walking. Uh, he was what uh, the term for it, a peripatetic teacher, somebody who walked and then his disciples followed along with him and he had conversations. You know, so often he's walking from one place to the other. His disciples are with him and then it talks about the crowds followed him and he's talking and he's teaching as he's going. So I think we can see a pattern there with how Jesus walked with his people in order to make them wise. It began with listening. Uh, Jesus would teach, he would speak, and they would listen. They would hear his wise teaching. And Colossians 3 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. We, we must be active hearers of God's word. Paul says in Tim, 1 Timothy 3 that the scriptures are, uh, may make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And Ephesians says that God has given us a spirit of wisdom in the knowledge of Christ Jesus. So we need to be active hearers of him. We need to listen. But the other aspect is as they walked along, they talked to him. They asked questions. They, uh, they conversed with him. They cried out in the midst of their fears and their struggles. And I think we missed this, but what they had was face-to-face -face prayer with the Almighty God. And beloved, you and I have the same access to the throne of grace that his disciples did. And that is one way that we walk with him, is we hear what he says, and we ask questions. We ask him to explain it. We, we converse with him. We cry out to him in the midst of our struggles. We talk to him. Um, there was another aspect that uh, we, he dined with them. Uh, the, much of the Gospels, he's in, at some kind of meal. He's uh, at someone's house and they're breaking bread together. And the most notable of those meals, of course, was at the very end where he said, this bread, this is my body. And this, this, this cup, this is my blood. Whenever you take this, do this in remembrance of me. And beloved, you know that we have that same meal, that same meal where we dine not just with the Lord Jesus Christ in covenant with him, but we dine and feast on the Lord Jesus Christ. We are nourished with him. And so we have these, these gifts of being able to hear his voice and to talk to him and to dine with him. And, beloved, all these things happen in the context, primarily in the context of the fellowship of the church. 
which is the body of Christ. He has given us these things. And as we do these things in fellowship with him, it says, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. We begin to imitate him. Scripture uses all sorts of different language for this. Um, he says, uh, we, are we are conformed to the image of Christ. Uh, we are to pursue Christ-likeness. Another term is we are to pursue holiness. Christ is the Holy One. And he came to communicate his holiness, to make us holy in him, to sanctify us in him. And, or another, this, this proverb would say that we become wise. We become like him. It's contagious. It's not that we ever become the Lord Jesus Christ. Obviously not. We are always holy other. Our, uh, we are always and ever dependent on his wisdom. And our wisdom is only and ever in him as our holiness is always in him. And yet we truly become wise in Christ Jesus. And we do it because God's will would be that others would become wise through us, even as we reflect his wisdom. You know, Romans 12 says that we, this happens, this, this imitation happens as we are transformed, we are transformed through the renewing of our mind. As we are spending time in fellowship with the wise one, he is transforming us into his wisdom. And our wisdom our, is only true wisdom insofar as we are like Jesus Christ. His truth, his character, and his holiness and that happens as we walk in him. But beloved, the other beauty of the church is that so much of this happens in the context, in the flesh of the church. You know, it's one, for, one thing for us to read these things and to pray and to, uh, to take the, the sacraments and to be blessed in that. But the Lord, has, in his grace, has made the church his body, his his, he incarnates Christ in the midst of this world. So we can talk with one another. We are taught by human voices that we can hear as we proclaim God's word. We can uh, ask questions in dialogue, in fellowship. We have people to disciple us and to bring us into the truth. And we can practice hospitality where we live life together. And, and we are rubbing off the wisdom of Christ on one another. So part of that imitation of Christ, part of that growing wise in him, is actually being wise as Christ was wise. And this is where this passage gets turned on its head. Because if you remember, how did the Lord Jesus Christ fulfill this passage? How did he live this passage out? Who did the Lord Jesus Christ spend time with? Well, if we remember the passage that Elder Bell just read from Matthew chapter 9, he spent time with tax collectors and prostitutes. And if you remember the, the Pharisees, they looked at that and they said, they, they probably thought of this passage and they said, well, why is he spending time with them? 
If he's so wise, why would he spend time with them? There was another passage where you know, one of the Pharisees said, well, if, if this man really was a prophet and he knew this woman, he wouldn't let her touch him. And, you know, the Pharisees get a bad rap, and for good reason. But are we that much different? Is, isn't that how we approach this particular passage? I mean, the Pharisees saw the tax collectors and the, Pharise- and the, and the, the prostitutes, and they, they were turned off by that. But who are the people that if they were to sit down with Jesus and you were to be invited to that meal, you would lose your appetite? Who would make you say, I'm at the wrong dinner party here? Because we all have them. And we're, we're, we're patently focused on, when we see this passage, we, we are constantly focused on who is wise so that I can spend time with them, and who is, who is foolish, who's dangerous, that I need to stay away from so that I'm not harmed. And I need to avoid those people. And that's, that's exactly what the Pharisees did. But that's not how Jesus saw this passage. He said, it's, not, it's, it's the sick who need the physician. It is... Uh, it is the sinners. I've called. I've called not to call. I've come not to call the, the righteous, but sinners to faith. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And so we live as though, like this. This passage means uh, we have to be careful with who we spend time with. We're, like we're the the little girl, the, the adage about the little girl who wore the white gloves and went into the backyard with, to make mud pies, and the mud didn't get clean, but her gloves got filthy. And that's the way we think. But beloved, the Lord Jesus Christ, in all of his holiness, climbed into the mud to rescue you and me. He associated with fools so that you and I could be wise in him. And make no mistake, he suffered harm. (laughs) And scripture was clear that he would suffer harm. He knew what he was getting himself into. He suffered harm of the worst way. He was rejected. He was persecuted. He was executed for you and for me so that we would be wise in him forever and ever, and he calls you and me to that same sort of wisdom. Having received the wisdom of Christ, he would have us love with that same love. And he doesn't, he doesn't take us out of harm's way. He puts us in harm's way, directly through harm's way. You remember what he said? He said, behold, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Sheep among wolves. We would want to avoid harm, of course. You know, the companion of fools will suffer harm. I don't want to suffer harm. But the Lord Jesus Christ said, no greater love have you than to someone who will lay down his life for his friends. We will suffer for the sake of Christ if we are faithful to his call. But beloved, our, our Savior has given us eternal life. Our eternal life. What is your life? 
What, what are you seeking to protect? We are a mist. Scripture is clear. Life is toil and trouble. But what awaits us is glory, eternal glory and blessing forevermore. And so we must love. We must pursue. We, we must live as Christ would have us live. Now, I know what some of you might be thinking, but wait, hold on, time out. If I spend time with whomever, that will affect me. I, you know, what, what kind of suffering harm will that mean? Aren't we called to purity? Aren't we called to holiness? Yes, we are. We absolutely are. But what we need to understand is that the threat to our holiness is not from outside influences, but from what is within our own hearts. Scripture says in 1 John chapter 4 that he who is in you, in you is greater than he who is in the world. We need to recognize that if we have been set free by the blood of Jesus Christ, we have the power of the Holy Spirit and we are forgiven forever and ever that our holiness is not dependent upon removing each and every bad influence from our life so that we do not sin. We will continue to sin. We need to war against that sin. Yes, we need to uh, avoid all the things that tempt us to sin so that we could reflect, properly reflect the love of Jesus Christ. But the, but the threat is primarily from what comes from within our own hearts. If the Holy One of God the holy God of all the universe could become a man and dwell with, live with tax collectors and prostitutes without affecting his holiness, then that same spirit which is in you can protect you from the outside influences of this world. But at the same time, if people can flee the world to go into a monastery to avoid all evil and still be filled with debauchery, in all forms of ungodliness, then the key to holiness is not outside influences. Holiness is not about removing things, the, the bad things from our life, but with filling ourselves up with the Lord Jesus Christ and his holiness and his purity and his love and being so enamored by him that as we draw near, we could do nothing other than just cast out the filth that has been what we've clung to for all of our lives. Our hope is not to remove all the bad that we don't sin. Our hope is that Christ paid the price for all of our sin and he has filled us with his power to make us holy. And as we pursue that holiness, we're called to share it. We must be holy, but holy in Christ which includes putting him on display and becoming companions of people who do not yet know this love of Christ. And beloved, isn't that what Christ has already done for you? Because at one point in time, you were not in Christ. You were separated from the, the wisdom of God. You were a fool doing your own thing, and yet God put someone in your life who loved you enough to share the love of Christ with you, and they weren't afraid of the impact that you would make on them. 
Or maybe they were. Maybe you know the type of person that you were. But God gave them the courage and the strength and the wisdom to love you in the midst of that. And through their love, God gave you the gift of faith and made you wise in him. And he now gives you the honor and the privilege of being part of his work of redemption in other people's lives as you walk with them. Make no mistake, it will come at a cost. You will suffer harm, but it is a good harm because it proves that you are associated, you are united to the Lord Jesus Christ in his sufferings, even as you live out his love. As a a simple single point of application, many of us don't really know what that means to love with the love of Christ, to share that wisdom uh, to unbelievers. Maybe we don't have a whole lot of exposure. We've, we've isolated ourselves from those who don't know Christ out of fear. Um, let me encourage you, over the next two months, we're going to be having a Sunday school class that discusses this very topic, the issue of what does it mean for us to be salt and light in the midst of the world? How do we share the love of Christ? How do we practice these things, communicate the hope that is within us. The Lord equips us through studies such as this. And so whether you feel very well equipped to share your faith or not, I encourage you to come and participate and uh, be blessed by it. Jesus walked with his disciples uh, after he was ascended Uh, They spent some time huddled together and terrified. And at Pentecost, Jesus poured out his spirit on them. And all of a sudden, they began speaking and preaching with boldness. And people, uh, if you remember this story from the beginning of the book of Acts, the religious leaders gathered them up and they said, you can't teach this. And Uh, It says that they were astonished. They were astonished um, because they recognized that these were uneducated, common men. That there was nothing, they hadn't hadn't been schooled in everything. These were just ordinary people. And then Luke records this and says that the religious leaders recognized that they had been with Jesus. These were the men, beloved, that... God used to spread the gospel and to build his church. They had walked with the wise and they became wise in him. And beloved, that's you and me. We are simple, ordinary men and women. But the Lord Jesus Christ came to walk with us, to love us. His gospel makes us wise for salvation and able to bear the witness to that gospel of grace and to build his church. And so will you walk with the wise? Will you grow wise in him? And as you become wise in him, will you let him walk through you as you walk as the wise so that Christ may make fools wise unto salvation through you? Let's pray together. Father, you love us 
And that's never more evident than when we think about all that you have done for us in your Son, Jesus Christ. We do want to bring you glory and honor and praise. And so would you fill us with the power and holiness of your Son, Jesus Christ. And we pray these things in his name. Amen.